0: From the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about gender discovery and self-acceptance. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show is trans activist Lucky Alexander, whose organization Invisible Men helps trans men find their place in the world. So first off, let's just start with the basic. How do you identify?
1: So I identify as um, a dad, as a trans man, as a brother, as an uncle, Um, all things masculine. Mm. and a couple of things Finn so <laughs>
0: okay and the fun question we'd like to start off with early on is how did you choose your name
1: um you know what i chose my name a couple of different ways so lucky um my is actually my middle name so you know uh there's a secret right so lucky's mm-hmm. actually my middle name and alexander is my first name uh lucky was a nickname that i was given when i was a lot younger um primarily because my mom didn't kill me. <laughs>
0: um,
1: <laughs> and Alexander, although some folks think that uh, I'm, I'm really bad for this, but Alexander came from Alexander the Great. I was, and still am, a big fan, and not so much of what he actually did, but the way he went about doing it. Um, he was very gung-ho, he was very strong about what he wanted to do, and um, I felt like Alexander was a strong name for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if we look at the other side of that, I, I named myself Alexander as a first name uh, because it sounds white on a resume. Hmm. So that's that's actually you know that's definitely one of those pieces that that came into play when I thought about naming myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. I read a couple of things about that about the the studies that they've done into uh, how much easier it is to get if if the name sounds white, which is right. It's another thing that's ridiculous about the world we live in, but.
1: Right. Yeah. But you know, I've I've gotten so many more callbacks because my name was Alexander. Uh-huh. So it proved the point.
0: <laughs> Everybody in chat, I forgot to mention real quick that we will all take your questions throughout the the show here. Just go ahead and type at the transgender show as Julie did there in the chat. So that um I'm sorry, not at the transgender show. At the transverse and that will alert me here so I can see it and we'll ask your question either in time with where we are in the conversation or I will save it for after our break later on. Okay. And then the basic rule uh the number one rule of the transgender show is that the guests cannot view the chat so if you have any comments or any or questions directly for Lucky go ahead and type at the transverse and I will get those to him. Awesome. So when did you first realize that you were trans? What were those what were those signs for you and that you were trans um, and not something else?
1: I think that for me um I was I'm, I'm kind of a little different than like the stereotypical story, right? I um actually when I was 8, I found out that I was not uh biologically male I wasn't a cis kid. Hmm. So um I was like, "Uh, what?" And so <laughs> what happened was I was I was playing on the schoolyard uh, you know, just wanted to make some friends. And I asked a couple of kids, like, can I play? And they were like, You can't play because you're a girl. I was like, Brood. Uh <laughs> so of course I got upset. I, I went home, told my mom, you know, I'm like super upset. Like, mom, these kids at school they called me a girl. And she's like, Well, you are. And I was like, Oh, so you believe these kids over me. And so um you're that's kind of like weird. <laughs> right so that's kind of where a lot of that stuff started for me um you know when puberty hit it was it was super depressive because all the time I kept going okay my boy parts are really going to go I'm going to prove everybody wrong they have no idea what they're talking about but also I was eight so Mm -hmm. when I hit puberty 14 you know 13 14 and you know all of the menstruation all those other things started happening um I couldn't handle it like you're already going through teenage life and gender identity issues and you know all these other things that's that's where it started for me but it caused a lot of trepidation
0: so yeah what were some of those things that you struggled with as you as you kind of came to grips with the fact that you were trans throughout your life because you kind of realized this pretty early
1: right so you know early on there was no language around being trans there wasn't anything for me to To see or any possibility models that existed for me,
0: yeah.
1: Um, Because I did the research, I went through all of those different things to to find more information. And everyone that I kept seeing in the on the internet and the media and all of that were white, you know. And so for that, I was like, maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe black folks don't transition. Maybe this is not something they do. So struggling with where I fit. In the scheme of things, was the hardest part. So I would hang out with, you know, studs, you know, or masculine women within the black community because I thought this was the closest that I was going to get. But even within that realm, um, I still noticed a difference because those folks identified with the parts that they have, and I didn't. I was okay being called sir, they were not. Mm-hmm. So those were, you know, feeling alone and lost and not having. Any anyone to model or having, you know, that reflection to show up for me was the most difficult part about that.
0: And what turned the corner for you? What was the the thing that made it a possibility and something that you actually pursued?
1: Well, in 2010, I was um, at a brown boy retreat and you know, we're seven days with a bunch of masculine center folks, and it was the first time that I had ever seen a trans masculine guy or trans masculine person, right? His name is Sasha Alexander. It was the very first um trans masculine person I ever met in my whole life. And I was like, yo, we do this. You know, mm-hmm. and this was my reflection. This was this was, you know, what I had been looking for, um, that possibility model. And I met a bunch of trans folks in that space. And I was like, oh my God, this is this is amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I went home and the whole time I was in the retreat, I'm thinking and I'm thinking. I'm like, "Yo, yeah, as soon as I get home, as soon as I get home, as soon as I get home." I got home, and two weeks later, I was on tea, and I just went from there. It was like, "I'm tired of making everyone else comfortable with me if I'm not comfortable with me."
0: Now, so that pretty,
1: was definitely the the game changer. Yeah,
0: that's pretty impossible to be comfortable, you know, around other people and it, interacting and all that if you're not comfortable with yourself. Right. What a wonderful moment there. Um, so then you see this example, you finally see it's a possibility and you're like, yes, let's go. Who did you come out to first then? I think I
1: came out to me first, (laughs) you know, like I was really like, I think, I think this is where I fit. It made sense to me. Um, and then beyond that, it was my kids. And at the time it was, um, my ex-wife at the time, well, she's my ex-wife now, but at the time she, we were married and. Um, she was the first one, besides her and the kids, um, it was like, hey, look, I'm going to do this. And I'm I'm not sure how you're going to feel about this, but this is either do this or die. Because it was it just seemed like this was the time for me to stand in my authenticity. This is my time to stand in my truth in myself mm-hmm. and really show up for me. And so um, I definitely was like, yo, look, I don't know how to tell you, this in a softer way or i don't know how to tell you this in a way that that makes sense for you but i need to do this mm-hmm. so that was and then you know like a lot of my friends after that you know i really started talking to my my community and was like hey look i'm getting ready to do this i'm just going to need some support and i think at least a good 85 percent of the folks that i contacted like i think within that week uh were like we knew so it was okay <laughs> You know, oh, yeah, there was,
0: surprise. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> so there was a lot of, um, folks that, that did just disappear and was like, no, I'm not going to deal with this. And I was like, well, I can't be mad at you. You know how you feel is valid, but I'm going to do this for myself.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, is that, did that, was that a contributing factor for the end of your marriage?
1: Um, yes, it was, mm-hmm. you know, um, because at that point. I had come into myself, into my being, right, and so um, when you come into yourself in that kind of way, you start to realize what you'll deal with and what you don't. You start to really see the value of yourself mm-hmm. in that moment, and you're like, "Well, if I'm gonna do this for me, and you're not gonna stick around, and you're supposed to be somebody that has said that I'm gonna be there, you know, for life, and if this is the breaking moment, then you can go yeah. because I, I need to be happy with myself." Mm-hmm i need to be comfortable in my skin and that was just it was the only way that it was going to work for me yeah but my kids absolutely were just along with it they were like hey okay well hi dad <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that subtly in there i think we've, we've had a lot of people on the show that it's, it's kind of a common theme for trans people to be people pleasers right. you know they're kind of used to that their whole life like bending to other people because you're bending your, your gender to what the norm is supposed to be. And so like, that just kind of becomes a baseline for you. And you just get used to that. You come into your own and realize that I'm important and what I need is important. And then it, it does sort right. of shift the paradigm there.
1: Right. And for me, it was, it was, um it was beyond necessary for me to transition. It was beyond necessary for me to be able um, to be productive. I would have to, be more comfortable in my skin. I was tired of working, you know, $10 an hour jobs where nobody cared where I was or what I did. Mm-hmm. Right? I wanted to be able to make a difference in the community, and the only way that I was going to be able to do that is if I was comfortable with myself first.
0: So what was your level of acceptance in those two areas in work and in the community?
1: In work it was tough because once I changed my name in in California it's a right to work state so i would apply for all of these jobs that i knew full well that i was i was super confident um, in performing and i would get hired and literally it was a pattern i would get hired for two weeks my name change would come back and they would be they would tell me you know hey you deceived us um I was, nope i did not deceive you this is my legal name and then they were like well, how did, why did you change your name and then at that point i would have to disclose and they're like well, you're not going to work out so uh, that happened about three, four times. And I said, you know what, this is this this part is going to be a little tougher than I thought. So I built my own shop. So I had a computer shop um, for about almost a year before the subleaser that I was leasing with found out I was trans, and then that was gone. So um, from there, I ended up working for myself, or I was working, now I'm working in community. So now I work at the LA LGBT Center. And, you know, um, I think that all of the positions that I've held in community uh, value me a lot better than outside of community.
0: One of the things that we missed in in going through these so far is a little bit of, of your history that I had wanted that I had really appreciated in the pre-interview and wanted to kind of dive into a little bit. OK. And um, you had said that you grew up in your early years on a military base. Mm hmm and so, then and then that there was a big change when you moved off of that can you talk a little bit about that that those yeah. early years for you and then what happened
1: so sure um so my dad is a military is an army guy and we moved all over the country all over the world I've been to like eight countries um forty eight of the fifty states um and when we were younger when we lived on the different bases, my parents you know my dad was was an officer so we had privilege in so many different ways and so um when we left the base that that privilege was gone and because it's the difference is not racial it's not gender in the military it's rank so you know we would get into scuffles at school or we would get into fights at school and the other kids couldn't touch me because their dad was a lower rank than mine and that's where the hierarchy lied but outside of that now we're looking at racism now we're looking at you know genders and now we're looking at all these different pieces um in public schools or in schools you know because i went to a montessori and even in the montessori um that was a little different but even that was a very interesting space and it kind of fit me but there were still racial you know uh microaggressions there were still racial tensions that even lied within the montessori and i'm talking about like we're 14, fifteen by this time or, or rather mm, twelve, thirteen. Okay. by this time.
0: And, and, and where were you living at the, when you were off, off base for the first time?
1: Um, I think we were in South Carolina. Okay. But, we, you know, and then we moved back on base when we moved to Fort Ord in, in the Bay, but then, you know, like we were bouncing back and forth, but for the most part, Public school was hard. Oh. It was a lot harder than, than school in the base,
0: and it was harder for you because of the the racial tensions um, than because of the trans issues.
1: No, I think it it was definitely because of the trans issue because you know I presented very masculine early on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like high school, junior high, I would change clothes. Like mom would send me out the door in one set of clothes, and by the time I got to school, I looked like a whole another kid. <laughs> so. Um, that was one of those things that I was, I think that in school, my friends, um, accepted it more than the teachers did. So that, I think that was more the issue that I had was like the way the adults treated me, not necessarily how the kids treated me. Um, I think the kids challenged me like they treated me like a boy so other boys would challenge me right so and then the girls would flirt around um but i was treated like a boy by the other kids but when it came to the adults that's where i got a lot of the pushback
0: Hmm. and that's such a problem too because that's who you're looking to those are that's your leadership that's who you're supposed to you know get your example from and aspire to
1: right and we're talking about 20 30 years ago in school right but Let's go 10 years ago, or not even 10, let's go five years ago. My son is still dealing with the same issue around my transness and him being in school. Mm -hmm. So we had staff and um, teachers. I had a teacher challenge me in the middle of a classroom, said we could take this out to the street and and do this like men. I said, you know, like, that's unnecessary, but if we want to do that, I'll show you. We can do that, right? But it was because he had outed me in the middle of a classroom uh to the other students that my my son was around and so now he's got to deal with the other kids teasing him mm-hmm. and so and it it hasn't
0: changed um did you have any support when you were coming out that you weren't expecting was there anybody that um you you thought would be would would, would be tough but um they they supported you and kind of surprised you in that way
1: you know my grandmother did hmm. as a matter of fact both of them um My grandmother, you know, may she rest. Uh, She was my she was my support in so many different ways, and we didn't really have like a real good solid relationship prior to that, you know. But there was a lot of things as I got older and older, and once I transitioned, um, she accepted it. It was like, okay, what's up, Alex? I was like, wow, that that is interesting, right? And then my grandmother on my mom's side, um, she's super cute because she can't remember any of our names. Um, so she literally goes down the line. So you can never be mad because she's not really misgendering you. She's just trying to figure out which one you are. Um, but on my mom's side, I'm the first. Mm-hmm. So to um, to make that move and be the first of so many other cousins and younger siblings because um, I'm one of six. Um, it was scary for me on that side because I was like, oh my God, how are they going to look at this? Are they going to they, you know, I'm leading the rest of them to doom or, you know, because a lot of my family is religious. So I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I have to do this. And so my grandmother on my mom's side was just like, okay, what's your name again?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. You're going to have to tell me a couple of times so that I get this, but I got you. So now she calls me Alex without a problem. Mm,
0: That's wonderful. (laughs) So when did you first find community to belong to?
1: You know, I found community when I was 19, and even though I was still presenting as a stud, um, I, that's when I started to do a lot of the uh, LGBT um, movement stuff. This is when I started to do mentoring, peer mentoring for 1624 when I was in Vegas, but when I found trans community was here, was in California, hmm. um, and that was in 2006, 2000, no. 2010 I'm sorry 2010 um, I found community and ever since then like I've been going nonstop to make sure that all of the folks that look like me um, don't have to go through the things that I went through because yeah. finding community I found some holes <laughs> so you know there's no services for trans masculine folks because even when I started Going through my transition, it was bad enough that there was no reflection, right? But even more so, there weren't any resources. There was nothing to help me get through um, OBGYN stuff. There was nothing to help me get through um, the emotional piece. You know, there was, and there was a lot to that. And I didn't realize, you know, I thought I had set myself up to, um, to be prepared for most of it and there was a lot that i just wasn't ready for and a piece of that was the mental piece and i wish that um there was um solid support around you know mental health and being masculine at the same time and i'm realizing that even our cis male community doesn't have that kind of support
0: yeah yeah a lot of that stuff is still for some reason taboo or, or looked down on, you know, right. For it's help. seen
1: as seen as weak. Yeah. Especially as a black male.
0: Yeah. You'd mentioned in, in, I think it, I don't know if it was a pre-interview or the interview that you did on, um, trans day visibility, but, um, just basically showing any weakness left you open for attack and challenge from other men.
1: I've, absolutely. I mean, the first two years of my transition, um, almost, on a regular basis, well, as a matter of fact, on a regular basis, um, I was assaulted. They would kick my butt every, every time I walked out my front door, or they would catch me coming home. Um, and it literally took one good time for me to realize what my strength looked like and for my son to be in the space because, you know, I was bringing my son home from school, and one of the guys in the hood, you know, they challenged me. They were like, hey, you know, you think you, you know, and I – we don't need to finish it but um and I was like you know what I have to teach my son that he has to defend himself I need to teach my son that you can't just let people beat on you and so literally I let him have it and I haven't had an issue there since it's it's like one of those things that you know in in you know gang territory in those neighborhoods they work different. The rules are different, right? And so I literally had to earn my respect through blood. You know, it is what it is. I lost a tooth um, just being trans. Just, you know, I've gotten beat up on buses, and um, I've been followed a couple of times. Like, it's not, it's not nice in those areas. And we have to look at, the, like, the cultural differences. I get that. But um, some some spaces are just just dangerous.
0: I missed a comment from Julie earlier. She said, I'd fight that teacher for you. No one deserves to be outed like that.
1: yeah, well, thank you, Julie. I appreciate you <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, the, the chat's getting fired up for you on your behalf, but
1: oh boy, yeah, that teacher better well, you know what that teacher he lost his job that day anyway, so no worries.
0: I would sure, as heck hope so that's 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 good news. This is uncalled yes. for yeah um, so. Um, I, I was really, I was really shocked. I'm not shocked. I guess that's not the right word, but it was very interesting to hear. You did an interview on trans day of visibility um, mm-hmm. with with three other, with two other panelists, and you you made the the comment that it was being black that was the harder thing than being trans. Absolutely. Can you expand Absolutely. a little bit on that and what that what those challenges were that were you know specifically based on, well, on your the color of your skin rather than um, your idea to transition?
1: right. So for me, because I look like this, because you know I'm cispassing, mm-hmm. um, and I have been cispassing for a while. Um, it's that part doesn't it doesn't hurt as bad as being pulled over. Because you're black, um, I had a police officer pull me over simply because you know I'm driving down the street and my music was on. And I said, "Okay, give me a ticket for for loud noise. Give me a ticket for um, for uh, you know my car being making too much noise." Okay, give me that. But he pulled me out of the car, he stripped my car down, and then he took the little the little uh, it's a fuse that was attached to my speaker in the back and took that so that destroys my whole sound system and he patted me down and then when he got to you know at the time i was still binding and so he was like so what is this a, a back brace and i said no it's a it's a binder i'm trans and then now the whole conversation has shifted to how many surgeries have you had or all of these different things and i'm like that's not why you pulled me over so let's let's get to the point right and um let's, let's get past this so I can go on and go home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I've had more, more instances of violence around me being black than um, not so much me being trans. It's, it's almost as if me being trans, is like a bonus for those folks when they find out, you know, like I, I've gotten into it with, um with someone and we got into a fist fight and my shirt came off and it was just, just my binder. Right. And now they're pointing and laughing and, it's 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 all bad. It's it's a it's compounded yeah. when it comes to being black and trans, but it definitely starts with me being black because people see black before they see trans because I am cispassing. Mm-hmm. You know, I got some height on me. Um I'm about five eleven and you know, I'm two fifty, so um I I'm pretty good at being cis passing, you know, even though I don't I don't like the term passing at all, but it's a safety mechanism for me.
0: Mm-hmm. so going back to the the main list here, what role has therapy played through your transition you mentioned earlier that um, when you were starting to go through it there was essentially nothing for you when did you find that right. and how much has it helped?
1: Therapy has been interesting because the first couple of years of therapy were useless because the therapists you know they don't know what they're looking at they don't know how to deal with this they didn't you know trans to that world was still relatively new right mm-hmm. um, so, my therapists weren't really useful as a matter of fact, I think I was probably maybe maybe a year and a half in when I found a really good therapist through um Kedron, and they kind of helped me with coping and all of these other pieces because maybe being trans is not is not the mental health piece, right? Maybe I'm okay with being trans. it's all of the things that we get outside of our bubble, the treatment from society, right? And then on top of that, um. I'm bipolar. So being bipolar, I already needed to make sure that I took care of my mental health and make sure that my meds were on point. Um, that way, I could continue to to be productive in life. Um, but that was definitely a struggle. And it's still a struggle now, because just like some many trans men, as a matter of fact, um, there was a study that was done that says that um, 55% of trans men um, exhibit suicidal ideology. Um, Meaning they've either attempted suicide or uh, thought about it or succeeded. Um, So like those, those folks, I'm part of that statistic. um, You know, I had a hard time with the way that, that people treated me because literally you go from one existence to another and for trans men prior to us transitioning, there's space for female presenting folks to be not okay or to exhibit emotional distress or all of these things. And then you, you go from that sense of being to this sense of being, and then that space d- disappears. So you don't have any choice, but to internalize a lot of that. Hmm. So, you know, it's a, it's a struggle on so many levels and your therapist can't be around all the time. Yeah. Right. So, but i'm noticing that now therapy um because I, i'm not going to tell any lies i've had two really great therapists three really great therapists that helped me along through this journey but then when insurance changes or um all of those things happen you're like oh my god i gotta find a therapist right yeah. so um the therapists that i've been working with have been pretty linked into the trans community so um You know i think that's the best part about therapy is that like my one of my last therapists was trans and so i was like i'm totally here for this i don't have to explain all the trans stuff to you i just need to explain where i'm at
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know and the things that i need from you right now and so um i think that therapy is a good is a good um coping mechanism i think it's a good thing to to have in your support package um i think also i think community is good for support as well.
0: So how have you have you been able to navigate that at all, you know, after being f- through some therapy of finding that emotional expression again?
1: Yes. Actually I've I've actually um included it in Invisible Men. So Invisible Men has a lot of um a lot of the larger parts of Invisible Men stem around healing and, you know, trauma response and whatnot. And so um a lot of our programs, our art programs are all geared towards healing. So our love and art, um, we've got some new programs coming in. And then we have recess, which is healing through play. And so like my own experience lends to a lot of the programming that we do, um, especially initially when we started building it. Um, and, And so now a lot of our legacies that are within our organization are able to lend their experience and their journeys into like some of the programming that we create.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, and we, I can't wait to get into more about invisible yes. trans men after, after our break. Um, so I think you kind of touched on this, um, but if there's anything else you can think of, we can dive into a little deeper. What were some of the key fears that you ran into in your transition, and how have you overcome those? Um,
1: some of those fears I still hold, right? Um, one of the fears was, like, how do I – how do I um combat like still being afraid of walking down the street and being raped? Or um, mm-hmm. how do I move through how do I move through some of these spaces, especially around medical care? Um, OBGYN offices are, are the worst. Right. I so can imagine, yeah. right. So still trying to figure out a lot of those pieces, I think that's where not necessarily fear, but frustration shows up. Um, I've gotten through a lot of the fears. I think a lot of my fears kind of surrounded around um success and failure, um, in, in life as opposed to my transition. Because I feel like my transition, I got this. I am I am standing in my authenticity, I am standing in my truth, and I'm okay with me. So anybody that's not okay with me, that's their problem. Um so, so I think a lot of the again. fears <laughs> that's the I think a lot in. of my that's, that's what it's all right. about. So a lot of the fears that I hold now still stem around, you know, succeeding or failing. And you know, it, it kind of it's not so much failing anymore because I feel like the if as long as I give my best, I've done the best that I can do. So that's not a fail for me. Mm-hmm. Um but success is a little different because if you succeed, now you're held to this standard, and you have to continue to perform in that way, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, do I have the stamina? Do I have the ability or ca- capacity to continue to perform in the way that I do? Um, and that's that's a scary thought. Like, like what if I don't? Right? Like, how are people going to look at me? How are, am I going to be continue to work? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. All of these different pieces. So um, I think that's where a lot of my fears kind of stem right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine comes along along similar lines of just like the the fear of letting others down. You know right. that not 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 the failure so much but like other people being disappointed in me. Right. So throughout your transition have your goals shifted or once you had that example and started on T did you have everything kind of planned out and know know your steps?
1: No, like everything shifted. Everything went out the window, all of my my dreams and and aspirations went out the window and I went in a completely, totally different, um, totally different direction. Like when, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be an astronaut. Always. It was like, I want to be an astronaut. I want to do at least one spacewalk. I want to just see what's out there. Right. And then I found out that, you know, my body is not strong enough to do that. So I was like, okay, let's shift this. And so I became a computer nut and, you know, I went to college and got the computer degrees and I got, degrees and in, in any and everything that I could get my hands on so I have a math degree and um, culinary arts degree and the computer degree I'm working on a psychology degree so I was like I wonder if I could just be like a professional student and then I found out they don't pay you to do that uh, <laughs> so I ended up like really really sticking with the computers because it was something that I was good at it was something that Um, I love doing it Mm -hmm. was something that allowed me to to get my art form out. You know, digital graphics is my art form. Digital, you know, building websites is my art form. And so it allowed me to get those out. And then I would, you know, I was out there with brown boy and I was like, okay, I'm just a computer nerd. I don't fit in the advocacy world. I don't fit in this realm. Right. And, And it was literally cold and said, we need everybody. We need all kind of skill sets. And when I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm I'm here for this. Then let me figure out how my skill set fits into advocacy. But even further than that, I was like, yo, I can build an entire organization on a website, right? Mm-hmm. And everything can be virtual until we can get brick and mortar locations. And literally, that's exactly what I did.
0: That's so great. That's so great that you able <laughs> to turn it into, into something tangible like that. Virtually tangible, but still tangible.
1: <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's tangible in that, all of the folks that tell their stories and show up and be visible are tangible people. So I I think that it definitely showed up tangibly.
0: So these days, what are the aspects of your life and your gender presentation that make you feel the most valid as a trans man?
1: Definitely my beard. Mm -hmm. Um, It's this, my beard is like my pride and joy, Um, even though during the summertime it's hot. (laughs) But um, I think that it's just a symbol of like my growth because I look back at, at pictures when it first started growing in and, you know, here we are 10 years later and it's a full beard. It connects on both sides. Um,
0: that's, that's important. <laughs> it's tough to get to, but it's important. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. But I think that, um, that's one of, one of the aspects of my, of my physical being that, um, just kind of shows growth for me. It's it's I look in the mirror and I'm like, okay, you're here. Like I'm I'm literally seeing who I've been seeing the whole time, but now like I can see him in the flesh. Yeah. And I think that on on an intellectual or mental or emotional side, um I've grown up a lot like my transition, like literally as a black kid, I already had to grow up real fast. Right. And as as the oldest of six, I already had to grow up real fast. But I think my growth in my transitional stages um has grown me up a lot faster in a different kind of way. Like who am I as a person? Who who is lucky? Who is this guy that wants to move and navigate through the world and, and how do I want that to look? And so really being honest with myself and figuring out what that looks like and figuring out how to attain that um, is a lot of growth for me because at first it was just like, I'm going to do this. And however it turns out, it turns out now I'm like, okay, now I'm going to plan this out and this is where I'm at. And this is where I want to go instead of just taking a shot in the dark.
0: Mm. So on the flip side of that, the previous question, what, what kind of makes you feel dysphoric these days? or, Or is that something you're still plagued with at all?
1: dysphoria shows up in that I haven't had bottom surgery dysphoria shows up uh, in the shower you know dysphoria shows up when I'm in my in my personal space um, and it's just me and I'm left with my own thoughts Um, you know because even though I know that a penis doesn't make a man and I'm well aware that my manhood (laughs) shows up in a much different way than maybe cis guys do um and i perform masculinity much different and i'm intentional about it right it doesn't make me any less dysphoric about you know parts that i feel like i should have right now Yeah. parts that i waited for for to grow in and just haven't yet
0: (laughs) still waiting still waiting yes
1: still (laughs) waiting we're getting there but it's it's not it's not going fast enough
0: (laughs) never does I, I still don't have anything up top. Still waiting. What were the biggest hurdles that you had to overcome? And then um, also sort of like the biggest learning curves, the things that you had to to adjust to and get used to?
1: I think that the biggest hurdles, my biggest hurdle I think was me, was, you know, I would, I started my transition and at least for the first two years, everything was trans. Like you, you can't misgender me, I'm trans, right? And I went through this whole, you you you're being disrespectful because you're not using my pronouns but also i think in that growth i realized that the folks around me had to transition with me right i couldn't expect them to get the pronouns right because i'm getting them right right i had plenty of time up here to really think about these things and really mold these things over but i was pushing people away because they didn't understand but i also didn't give them a shot either Hmm. right so I think that that was one of the biggest hurdles was really kind of swallowing pride and saying okay look maybe I'm wrong right now and I'm rushing everybody and I've had a chance to do this I've had a chance to really think about these things I've had a chance to get it right for me right. so I have to give everyone else that same chance so I think that was definitely one of the biggest hurdles Um what was the other other side of that question
0: Learning curves things um Learning but, curves. Yeah things that you that you kind of came out of nowhere and you're like, oh, I I have to learn to do this now or I have to learn to navigate this.
1: Right. So, um, packing was definitely a learning curve, like figuring out, like, does he pack up or does he pack down? Um, (laughs) figuring out, uh, shaving, you know, like we didn't get a chance, you know, I transitioned when I was 30, so I'm learning to shave at 30 and I was like, okay, so, you know, of course, Nick's all over the face, um, losing my hair. Losing my hair was was really uh hard for me because I had a lot of it. Like I had long hair with rock braids, um, and I really loved my hair, like a lot. like it my hair had its own its own shampoo and conditioner, and then my beard had its own shampoo and conditioner. I was really serious about this. Um, but losing my hair was tough. Um, and going to get a haircut, like I didn't know what to say to get a specific kind of haircut, right? I don't know how to how to do this and I'm in the barbershop, like they're gonna know I'm trans because I have absolutely no idea how to do this. (laughs) Uh (laughs) you're
0: getting clocked. I I don't know. Yeah, that's how I'm getting
1: clocked. (laughs) Right. So can just cut it. And they were like, well how do you want to cut? Um like his. So, you know, those type of things, um navigating male space was interesting i think that was probably one of the biggest things to kind of that i still i don't think navigate real well um because you know you're in a a macho machismo space and they're talking and you know you're like okay i'm uncomfortable but does my uncomfortability clock me as a trans person Mm -hmm. right and and being able to communicate in that space like i'm going i don't know what the hell you all are talking about i have no clue I don't, I don't know what you're saying to me, uh, Jock straps? I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. So a lot, so a lot of, think... not only,
0: yeah, a lot of new language specifically, but also a lot of right. how to, and I'm, I'm sure like kind of running into the, the guys one-upping each other and always having to, to talk over and all that kind of stuff.
1: Right. All of these things, right. Even challenging one another physically. And I was just like, I don't, I don't get it. Like why are, okay, we're just doing this. We're just going to knock the tar out of each other because it's no, okay. I'm not doing that. But um, I think I think one of the interesting things that I found in that space were that men are very emotional. Um, mm-hmm. They're very emotional creatures and they find ways to get it out in very interesting ways, but nonetheless, they find ways to get it out. Um, and part of this whole challenge mm-hmm. of each other's physical challenge is one of those ways yeah. that they get a lot of that emotional piece out. I'm just like, I I don't want to do that. I like my face in one piece. <laughs>
0: I, I like the the number of teeth I currently have and I want to keep it that way.
1: Right, right. I've already lost enough mm-hmm. due to being trans. I don't want to keep doing that.
0: <laughs> so are there ways in which your tra- the, your transition has lived up to your expectations or ways where it's kind of fallen short?
1: Um, I don't think I, I didn't really have expectations. I just, um, I just want it to be me. Mm -hmm. I know that in the beginning of my transition, I would see a lot of guys that, you know, had been on T for, you know, two, three years. And I was like, yo, I hope my transition looks that good. I hope that um, I don't have to struggle with the, the in between. Right. Because uh, I, I had a lot of issues with that piece because I would get called like, is that a dude with boobs or a lady with a beard? Right. And I was just like, this is, this is frustrating. I just want to hurry up and get to where I'm
0: going. Yeah.
1: So I really didn't have any expect- expectations. You know, I kept looking at my dad like, I wonder if I'm going to look like you. Or I would look at my brothers and go, I wonder if I'm going to look like you. What I didn't understand was I already did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> literally, my face hasn't changed. It literally just grew hair. And so I'm like, oh, I'm still me. Fantastic. Nice. <laughs> so, so there wasn't really too many expectations at
0: all julie comments that she's seen fights where they did five minutes no dirty hits and shook hands after never understood See? but apparently like it helps them gain respect and and like you said I, i'm sure it's probably that emotional outlet that right. men don't have
1: and i'm i'm just not about that I'm, my face is way too pretty I'm
0: sorry <laughs> just not doing it
1: <laughs> i only fight when i have to
0: so the big question we like to end this section on is what advice do you have for young or closeted trans and non-binary people out there?
1: Um, my advice is this your journey is your own. Um no one can tell you how to how to transition. No one can tell you um what it's supposed to look like because we're all different. Um I would tell folks, look, there's resources out here. There are support groups there are surfaces for trans folks and for our trans mass folks Um, whether you're non-binary or a trans man we're here invisible men is here i'm here um you don't have to do this alone but if you feel like it's something that you need to do then do it Mm. there's there's people that will be here to catch you
0: That's wonderful. And and you're definitely one of them because, you know, with, yes. with what you're putting together, we've got the transfers <laughs> here that we're putting together. So we've got the the same thing going on. It's wonderful yes. that there are more services. There are more organizations that are popping up that right. are there to provide that safety net.
1: Absolutely. You know, I just tell folks, look, standing your truth, it feels better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really does.
0: Yeah. 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 There's a lot you go through. There's a lot to go through. It's it's not right. easy, but it still ends up being worth it.
1: Absolutely, I wouldn't give back anything that I've that I've gone through or endured throughout my transition. If it made me the person I am today, then I'd go through it all over again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an, a really important sentiment. You know, it it, it, it obviously has made you a, a much stronger and better person, more focused, more disciplined. Right. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So. I wanted to, to kind of dive into for a second. Um, what has the intersection of the Black Lives Matter movement and the trans rights things that are going on and sort of the, the attacks against trans rights, what has that meant for your life? Kind of caught in the middle of both of those.
1: It's meant a lot because I'm looking at a lot of the, the. there's like 52 anti-trans bills on the, But at the same time, that's 300 years of racism that still exists today right Mm -hmm. and both movements were started by black people so they kind of intertwine and intersect anyway but i think that it's hard as a parent on on the african American, you know on the black side of this on the black lives matter it's hard as a parent to um have to have that conversation with my son walking out the front door like hey don't don't um get riled up with the police, be polite, like all of these things that we have to have these conversations because they're killing black people, you know, for no reason. Yeah. Um, but they're also killing trans people for no reason. So it's it just seems like I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't, but I live in that intersectionality. So mm-hmm. um, it's dangerous, to say the least.
0: And it's kind of- it's kind of interesting. You know, I, I don't, I mean, um, I guess the danger of, of being trans isn't, isn't new. Like that's always right. been there. It's just the public, the public uh, forces against it are, are louder now. And, and, you know, the, the, as far as the, um, the established, the establishment, you know, them fighting right. putting this legislature, this legislature in place, um, trying to get these things passed. It's like, you know, the, the racism is a systemic thing that's always been there. And then now right. there's this thing where there's this, this new thing coming in.
1: Right. And, you know, just just navigating the world as a black man is dangerous enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my skin my skin is what, what makes me a target most days. Um, and like I was saying earlier, me being trans is not seen as often as me being black. Yeah. So that that's the space in which I'm I'm I feel more threatened because to other people I am the threat, right? I'm automatically the threat. Like I said, I'm five five eleven. You know, I'm a big boy and just coming down the street. But if they got to know me, they'd know I was a gummy bear, right? But mm-hmm. I've never I'm I'm not given that chance very often. So
0: uh-huh.
1: um, I think that COVID in that intersectionality of being black and trans, I think COVID uncovered a lot that is going on in our world that a lot of folks don't want to address or don't want to acknowledge. So I think that being black and trans in this particular era right now is actually not helpful, but we're seeing more. The visibility is there.
0: Mm-hmm. What are the benefits and downsides of that visibility been for you? You know, cause being visible as a trans person, a lot of times means being, you know, putting yourself in danger.
1: Visibility as a is kind of like a, a double edged sword for trans masculine folks, right? Especially and, and speaking from from my own experience, um, being a, being visible means resources for transmasculine folks, mm-hmm. right? Me standing in and being visible means that we can we can ask for things because folks know that we need resources. I'm a super, super big proponent that. You can't be mad at folks for not helping if they don't know there's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to be visible in order to bring attention to the issues and the challenges that we have. But on the other side of that, not being visible is a safety mechanism. So it it just kind of depends on the space that I'm in.
0: So now let's take some time to dive in specifically into Invisible Men. Um, okay. when was it that you started this and um, you've alluded, you've probably talked already like three times <laughs> about why, why you started and kind of what your, your goals are with it. But, um, just elaborate on that a little bit now.
1: Okay. So Invisible Men was started, um, on Trans Day of Visibility on, in 2018. Okay. So that was very intentional because I was like, so we're invisible. We're going to take over Trans Visibility Day, right? Let's be visible. Let's figure out how to do this. Right. And what other better day to do it so we launched um with 12 legacies um when we first launched and legacies are the folks that tell their stories on our platform mm-hmm. and so it initially started as a platform to bring visibility to the lives of transmasculine folks mm-hmm. and so um all of those folks that tell their stories on our on our website and our platform um are willing to stand in their visibility and really stand in their authenticity, but you also get to see what the diversity in our population really looks like. Our demographic is, is super different. It's super interesting. Um, it's super diverse, right? So from different racial backgrounds, different sexual orientations, different ways of being, and different ways of of navigating the world. But I I wanted to showcase that everybody from, um, you know, rock star advocates to the average trans person, right? The, the average Joe or Jimmy or Jane, you know, if that's how they identify. But I wanted to make sure that we amplified all of those voices. That way we were able to see what are these different lives look like? And what are these different people look like? that, that also humanizes us, that also tells people that there are lives behind your hate so the way that that you're treating folks like these are real people that live real lives and have dreams and aspirations Mm -hmm. right and so we wanted to showcase those things we wanted to make sure that um those folks were uplifted and that we could we could see what it looks like to be trans mask right Mm -hmm. and so on the website currently there are 33 legacies um on the site and so everyone that works on the inside, like like the machine, the cogs. Um, all of our folks, all our, our, our leadership legacies um, are all volunteers, so everybody, this is a labor of love for everybody that, that works together with us. Um, and then we partner in with a lot of other organizations that are already doing the work because we don't wanna reinvent the wheel if you're already doing this work. We're gonna train you how to deal with us, And then we're going to partner with you and be able to send our folks and say, this is a safe space to go, or this is an affirming space to go to. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's that's the whole reason we wanted to make sure that we, one, showcase those stories. And then two, we could really start to build out what those resources needed to look like. And if we couldn't find a resource that's already created or something similar to what we need, then we just created it. So around binder exchanges, clothing exchanges, uh, mentorship programs for specifically um trans masculine folks. And even our DNI training, diversity inclusion training is is catered specifically to trans folks. Well, transmasculine folks, like how to deal with us because we're are we are unique, you know, and when folks tried to compare um, the lives of trans femme and trans mask, I think it's unfair because our our lives and our journeys are not comparable, mm-hmm. like they're apples and oranges. They're unique, just like every other trans person, right? All of our trans journeys are going to be unique and different from one another. But when you lump one with the other, even from trans mass to trans mask, our journeys aren't the same. Yeah. There's differences, but there's they're very different. I mean, there's, there's similarities, but they're very different. So we just wanted to make sure people saw that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a very important thing. I mean, we've we've the two organizations. You you you've got a two year um, jumpstart on us, but um, you know, it, 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 there's so many parallels in exactly what what we want to do. Um, we're focusing more broadly and just just um, just the, the trans umbrella entirely. So trans, non-binary, um, intersex, anybody that doesn't fit into the into the, the standard binary, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the cis narrative binary. Uh, right. And I'm gonna really love and, um, having you in t- in our Discord, and hopefully, you know, partnering with you. You mentioned the the clothing exchange. That's something that mm-hmm. I've desperately wanted to get started on in our community, and mm-hmm. so that w- that would be great. Cause I've got, I mean, you know, I was a professional. I've I've got I've got a couple of suits. I've got some nice button down shirts. It's right. like. I love these clothes. They're great. I have <laughs> no interest in, in even looking at them anymore because like right. F all that stuff, that's, that's my past, but it's just like, I can't throw it away. Cause it's good. And I don't want to just donate it away either. Like it right. would be great if I could get it to go to another trans person that is, is going right. through that early journey and is struggling to, to find the clothes that, that fit them and, and fit their style, all that stuff. So I would, yeah, right. I'm, I'm very excited about this.
1: Right. And it was definitely something that we needed to do around the clothing piece because, you know, um, I used to be really a really, really big guy, right? So at my highest I was 385. And I had intentionally gained the weight so that I could hide my top part. And so, um, you know, finding clothes was hard, one for a big person, right? And even right, and even more so when your body doesn't doesn't conform to binary clothes. Right. And so I had to really figure out how to do this. And then how do you go to a dressing room? So I wanted to provide space for, you know, trans mass folks to come to us and say, okay, I need some clothes. Okay. What size do you need? And then, you know, you can use this space to to try it on or or whatever you'd like to do, but we wanted to make that accessible and available for our folks Mm -hmm. because that was definitely one of the hard parts of the transition was trying to find clothes how do you know how do you dress like i i know what it looked like before but that's with different parts and after i had top surgery like i lost my mind i went outside and instead of wearing 3x t-shirts now i'm wearing extra large i was like oh wow
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> That was one of the things, I mean, we have a similar thing going the other way of like, you know, most guy clothes are are just baggy and, and, you know, loose anyways, and just going to like form-fitting stuff that just fits really nicely and and looks really good. (laughs) Yeah, there we go, finally.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I totally get that. Um, I got that feeling when I had my first suit. (laughs) Right. It was incredible, yes. It was incredible.
0: When that was what I wanted to kind of get into with the wedding, like I know I have, you know, every girl grows up dreaming about her wedding and the wedding dress and all that kind of stuff. And and (laughs) I never really got to to play into that. In my story, I was always way too well aware of the fact that I, I, I was a boy and I was supposed to be a boy and all these kind of things it took me gotcha. till very late in life to realize that trans was a thing and that that's what what described a lot of the things that I was going through and but now like now I've got that and I'm kind of like catching up on that was that something that you had for your wedding like that that idea of, of wearing that tux and, and standing up there and your wife walking down the aisle to you
1: well do you know the wife walking down the aisle was definitely something that I dreamed about uh, but I had been in suits, you know. I've I've been wearing suits for a, for a cool minute, and I've been in a couple of tuxes, but that that suit that I got for my wedding would be the the most important suit that I would ever purchase, right? Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure that I was fly, and you know, I just wanted I wanted to look so extraordinarily handsome like debonair for my wife because (laughs) i already knew she was going to come down the aisle as beautiful as a shiny new penny you know and it was i think it was one of the one of the most incredible experiences even though you know we ended up kind of throwing the wedding together but community came together and helped us pay for the wedding and and Mm. donated you know so many different things my suit and my groomsmen suits were donated um her brother bought her dress the you know we community members came out of nowhere and literally was just like here and it was the best thing it was better than what we planned seriously in in the middle of a pandemic
0: yeah so yeah it was beautiful
1: it was outside it was on hollywood boulevard so it was awesome
0: how many people were you able to have there in, in attendance
1: um I think maybe about 30 40 people showed up because we sent out like 10 invitations but we sent out invitations going well you know this is where we're going to be mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it was like a a non invitation invitation and then you know like community showed up so it was it was incredible like I think that besides childbirth was like the best the best thing that I could have ever done in my life
0: mm-hmm. And you know, having been married before and and married now, as you, what has changed significantly f- for for that relationship? Like like, how do you approach it differently now? Um.
1: Well, I think that one, I'm a lot more mature about a lot of the choices that I make in relationships. Um, so that's a big difference. Um, I think also, I communicate with my partner a lot better than than I did then. You know. Um, you know, there's a difference of like 10, 10, 15 years. Um, no, maybe 10 years, about 10 year difference between, um, now and, you know, the last, the, when me and my ex-wife broke up. Um, so I think I've grown a lot in just being a person besides being trans, besides being an advocate, besides working and, and doing what I do, I've grown a lot on the inside around how do i communicate with a partner what do i want out of a partner what are the things that i will accept what are my hard no's? what are my hard yeses um what are my deal breakers right and trying to figure out what those different pieces look like i think made the difference mm. because you know i me and my ex-wife we were together we were young 1920 uh, right yeah. and
0: that's the relationship was tough yeah when you're kids right
1: and we, we got married and had kids, you know, so like we went into a relationship with kids and, uh, raising two kids and trying to figure out life at 22 was a struggle to say the very least. Right. But we were still kids. We didn't know what we were doing. And I think now, what are we 20 years later? I know I'm dating myself at this point. Um, Like 20 years later, you know, I'm a different, I'm a whole different person. I'm a lot more mature. I made much different decisions around relationships and, Mm -hmm. um, I know what I want now. I know what my goals in a relationship are, you know, and I know how to see red flags now. Mm -hmm. So that all of that makes, makes the difference. I think for me,
0: is there anything different in the way you approach it as, a, as I mean, just as a full man now that, you know, you kind of, you weren't there, um, early on? Um, not so much. I think
1: I would, I'm still approaching it the same as, as I did before. Um, because I'm going to approach it with my heart. And so whether my heart is in a female identified body or a male identified body, it doesn't change my core. So I think approaching, the only change, like I said before, to approaching the situation was maturity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I definitely think that, um, I think now also being comfortable in my skin and comfortable with who I am makes a big difference. The yeah. confidence in, in that piece alone, I think makes a big difference, but not so much how, how I approach it.
0: Yeah. I think I mean, it's a, we alluded to it earlier, you know, you can't relate to other people Mm -hmm. on a deep and true level, unless you are true and, you know, and love yourself and have that relationship with yourself on that deep level.
1: Right. And that comes with maturity. It comes with, with, you know, growing up and it comes with figuring out those, those nuances and those different pieces of who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, once you figure out yourself, I think you're, you're gold.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you like to talk about that, that you represent or you're, you're doing right now?
1: Um, well, I sit on the HIV commission, um, and that—that that is one of my, my really, like, super deep passions. Um, I got into HIV work because my best friend uh, was diagnosed with HIV at 18. So we were 18 together, and we found out. And, you know, that was in, what, 98? You know, we didn't know very much about HIV. We didn't know that... You know folks could live long lives and so i Mm -hmm. started reading everything i could about um hiv and and how to fix it right and so once i started it's almost like i got into hiv before i i started my transition and so once i started my transition i found out that trans guys are trans masculine folks as a whole um are not being considered within the hiv arena and With our demographic being as diverse as it is, sexually diverse, um, we're one of the most sexually diverse demographics on the planet, right? Trans men So, yes, we have. So, 90% of trans men, there was a study that was done in New York, um, out of the University of New York, that that stated that um, 90% of trans men identify outside of being straight meaning they identify as pansexual uh, bisexual gay or you know some other orientation and then you have 10 percent of those uh, folks that still identify as straight and they date trans women right so if we're dating all of the highly impacted demographics Mm -hmm. then why are we not being considered for hiv research or why are we not being considered around uh prep and pep and all of these things because even like the new prep that's out to SCOVI is not made for um assigned female at birth bodies right so the the other one i can't remember um i can't remember the the original prep okay um and we don't know how effective that is on our bodies and how that works with um hormones right because our bodies are different than cis female bodies in that yeah. we're taking hormones, so that changes us on a molecular structure, on a molecular level. So yeah. um, we're not being looked at in, in ways that is that are necessary, right? And so I'm part of TM Health LA. Um, well, it's TM, uh, Transmasculine Health Justice LA. And so we started this uh, about five years ago um, where we put out a survey. It's the largest survey in um, Los Angeles around... Transmasculine health and what that looks like for us. Um, and so we're getting ready to launch all of our results tomorrow. Um, yeah, so like we're doing a press conference tomorrow morning. Um, it's a virtual press conference. Um, if you want to check it out, go to TMhealthla.org um, yeah, TMhealthla.org. Um, and this study found the same thing that the study that was done in New York. It found that the the behaviors of all of the folks that we surveyed here in L.A. County, it it mimics it. Right. And so if if that's the case, then our demographic needs to be really studied before um, we become the next wave of this epidemic. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing that I've been working um, pretty hard to, to get to happen, because we need to make sure that our folks are being looked at um, and our folks are. You know, have the medication that they need to treat it, or have the preventive medication in there um, for our folks to keep them from, you know, getting it.
0: Yeah, I so saw. I I put in tmhealth.org and I got bounced back. Is it tmhealthstudyla.org? Yes. Okay. Yes. I'll put it in the chat then, so everybody can get to that. Okay. Um, awesome.
1: Yeah. So you, all of the information should be there.
0: Awesome. Yeah, you you mentioned the. The struggles with you know the, the the body and the fact that they're the these pills are made for um, the masculine presenting bodies mainly. That's something that that's just right. kind of a chronic thing. That's a problem with our healthcare system. Is it's it's viewed from that male perspective, and it's you right. know women's bodies are not studied enough. Um, people of different racial backgrounds' bodies are not studied enough, and how these things affect them.
1: Right. And, you know, that was one of the things that, that came up um, while I was in the commission was that there was a lack of, of you know, preventive services or, or testing or competent testing and services for cis women, right? Let alone trans men, uh-huh. let alone, you know, anybody else. So I'm just like, okay, we got to do something better here because we need to make sure that our folks don't disappear, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to go and stink because somebody decided that we weren't important enough to research.
0: Well, and that's the big issue with all these anti-trans bills and all this anti-trans push is that um, they're missing out on, on the opportunity. They're they're missing out on the advocacy Absolutely. that we have that affects and helps cis people. Right.
1: Right. And and that's another thing that, you know, with invisible men, we we want to shift what masculinity really looks like. What is, you know, it, how does it look? How do people respond? Respond to it, right? Because I found that me being masculine, just by virtue of me being masculine, I became problematic just by being in the space, right? Not speaking, just being there. It's like, why are you here? You're a guy. And I'm like, well, I'm also trans and this is a trans space, right? Okay. Then we should all be here, right? And so, um, you know, being automatically read as toxic or problematic, just walking in a room before I even open my mouth is is toxic and problematic right yeah um and i just feel like if trans mask folks are trans people then we also need to be able to access trans spaces and so um or masculine masculine spaces or whatever that looks like but Anything that's relevant to the transmasculine journey or challenge is the stuff that I try to jump into and make sure that there's visibility there. Um, Because when I very first started my advocacy run, visibility was literally me showing up, was literally me being in all the spaces. I'm going to be visible. I'm going to let you know that I'm here and there's other people that look like me and travel like me and navigate like me in this world. Mm -hmm. So literally I was at every event I was, and people didn't know what I was doing. Hell, I didn't know what I was doing, right? I just knew that there needed to be some kind of form of visibility. If that means that I needed to show up everywhere or I needed to be at the table, then I'm going to do that. And I'm going to bring all the voices that look and travel my same journey with me.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. You know, that was one of the things that I kind of learned early on. It it was kind of one of the learning curves that I had things that caught me off guard was I wasn't expecting in any way to be. To be anything to anybody, I was expecting the the opposite. I was expecting to, like nobody will talk to me and all this, and and like I f- I found people were like interested in kind of looking up to me for my courage and things like that, and and um found that just by my visibility and being out as me and and presenting comfortably, even though sometimes I wasn't, um, it showed people. You know that to to have courage and that you know it's possible to be yourself those sorts of things and it was just something I wasn't wasn't really prepared for or, or didn't uh, didn't understand in the realm of possibility there, mm-hmm.
1: right? And I mean it's it's something that still takes me by surprise. Mm-hmm. You know, people come to me and they say, you know, hey, look, um, you really changed my life, right? And even even now, you know, it's as much as I do my vantage point is much different than everyone else's vantage point of me, right? Mm -hmm. Because I just do the work, keep my head down and go on to the next and go on to the next. I'm not looking for accolades. I'm not looking for all of the hoopla. I just want to make sure the work gets done, right. But when I stop, and I take time to kind of really survey, like all of the things that I've done, I go, wow, how did I do it? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that it wasn't me, you know, like, I literally take my direction from my higher power. And allow them to direct like my movement and it's it's work that it it tugs on my heart Mm -hmm. right it's it's heart work and um it's it's something that doesn't let me sleep at night so like if if there's a project on the table and i'm like hmm i wonder if i should do that like literally if it doesn't let me sleep then that's something i need to be doing wow Mm -hmm. so you know invisible men was one of those things
0: yeah, definitely, definitely guided. Yes, that was one thing we absolutely. didn't we didn't get into, um, uh, and I, I'm I'm sorry for skipping over that. It Was your level, <laughs> your level of, of faith? Um, are you an active member of a church?
1: No, so oh. I'm I'm a spiritualist. Okay. Um, you know I I look at many different theologies, look at many different um, spiritual beliefs and and spiritual theories, and figure out like what works for me, what makes sense for me. Um. I feel like we, we're all supposed to to find our own meaning in what that looks like, right? Because it's a personal decision. And I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness, and it was tough, right? Having to be in a space that I didn't feel like I belonged in. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Organized religion is very problematic for, for a lot of those outside of the right. kind of straight and narrow, <laughs> right?
1: Right. So there's that. But even outside of organized religion, I still had to really kind of really seek out, you know, um, God in the universe and what that looks like for me and really figure out um, how to maintain and cultivate that relationship mm-hmm. and and figure out what that means for me. But I think now, um, as I'm getting older and as I'm maturing in, in my manhood and just in my personhood, right, I think that... Um, because of the community that we come from, I see my mortality reflected at me or staring at me quite often because our community is often assaulted and, and hurt and the violence that comes to our community. So I often see my own mortality, right? So I just wanna get as much done um, and make sure that that, that communication is right with my higher power, mm. you know, but also make sure that I can get as much done in this, in this time frame that I've been given on this earth to, to make a difference. You know, I just want to make sure that, that I leave the world better than when, when I got here, mm. right. At least one iota, at least that, right. If I change one person's life in my lifetime, then I feel like I've done my job. Um, but I think that, you know as humans that we should all like strive to achieve that like if everybody you know does does one good thing for other people then we'll all be doing good things for each other right yeah but also um at my core at my very core i just want people to be nice to each other like it's that simple for me on the inside
0: <laughs> it's just kind of a simple rule for life right i think we, we would just yeah. all be in a better place if that was everybody's right. stance
1: just be a good human
0: mm-hmm. and i love that idea just just focus on some what's one thing you can do today that's that is you know kind to another person
1: right and see i i, I assault people every day with kindness and smiles <laughs> every
0: day that's the uh, masculine aggression you've adopted is just like i'm gonna yes. be right up in your face just kind right. as f
1: <laughs> i'm gonna give you gummy bears today today you're getting gummy bears and kittens Tomorrow might be butterflies and puppies, but this is what we're doing. And it's going to be aggressive.
0: Yeah, it's aggressive. It's loud. It's in your face and you're going to (laughs) like (laughs) it.
1: And I love you. Right. (laughs) I
0: love you so much right right now.
1: Right. So, you know, I just, I want to teach my kids that everything's not bad, that people are not all bad, that life is not dreary and it's not always tragic, even though that's what we've been through. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to show you something different. Yeah. Because I th- I think that even though we see all the things that happen as adults and we're jaded and you know, we've been through traumas, I think that we can still have hope in humanity.
0: Yeah.
1: At least I hope so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fingers crossed. No, I think there's a, yep. there's enough of this. I, I I think there's a message in there of just like basically life isn't the news. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of crap going on in the news that's just horrible. And if you just pay attention to that, like that's just the negativity. But there's a lot of of positivity out there just in in life outside of that.
1: Right. It just depends on what your focus is on, where you're what you're perceiving. Mm -hmm. You know, and if we can shift the perception just one chord, just one chord and get the rest of your brain to go, hmm, what are you looking at over there? You know, we can shift the perception. We can shift, you know, this hate. It's just too much. For, for our community to have to deal with and it's generational and it, it doesn't have to be. like There's a point where we just need to be able to break the link.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from the Transverse Network. Watch the full video version of the show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash thetransverse and be sure to catch our slate of other great shows there as well. If you love what we're doing and want to support the Transverse you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash thetransverse.